0: Before we get started with the episode, we have a new sponsor that we would like to tell you about. I'm very excited that they are joining House of L. It's BlueChew.com. That's right, BlueChew.com. And just so you don't have any preconceived notions, BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. If you're one of those guys that needs a little bit of extra confidence when it's time to have fun you should go to BlueChew.com. Most guys don't want to talk about anything having to do with ED, and trust me, the folks over at BlueChew.com completely understand that. But the sexiest thing is to do something about ED. The sexiest thing is for you and your partner to have an active and fun sex life, and BlueChew.com can help you with that. You want your opportunities to count. Understand that with this, there are no embarrassing doctor's visits. There's no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your front door. Even that, it's in a discreet package, so you don't have to worry about anyone getting into your business that doesn't need to be getting into your business. If you don't like swallowing pills, don't worry. They've got the Blue Chew tablets that are chewable. Get it? bluechew.com so if you find that you're lagging behind a little bit you just don't have the same type of confidence that you used to and you want to get back in the game bluechew.com is the way that you can do it we've got something for you if you use the promo code house of l at checkout just pay five dollar shipping that's it that's bluechew.com promo code house of l to receive your first month for free If you're in the market, if you need it, if you want to go back to having a good time and not having any of this stuff like on your head, bluechew.com. And now let's get down with the episode. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. Over the weekend, I knocked out a pod on what was going on with Carlos Correa signing with the Twins. If you haven't checked it out, put it on your list of House of L podcasts to check out. I just felt inspired and I needed to talk about it. And it was weekend, so I didn't have a show. So I did it. I knocked that out for you and got some White Sox thoughts in there. Just in case you were interested in some of my White Sox twins thoughts. I really do hate the twins. It comes across inside of the podcast. This episode of the podcast, though, way different. And it's way different because... I, I'm i such a big fan of Mike Lowe, and we have a shared history. It's funny because we didn't talk about it while we were having the conversation, but he likes to joke about it that I was my first job in TV was working as an intern at Channel 9. So it, it has a really special place for me like in my heart, as Jim Boylan would say. I worked there as an intern in 1997 and it played a big role in in me deciding which direction I was going to go like which sliding door I was going to go down. I I got the internship spring quarter of my senior year which is rare like you don't ordinarily do internships at that time cuz you know you're getting ready to graduate college but mine was spring quarter, so starting in March, and it was supposed to be through June and, and through graduation. While I was there, I got incredible experience in teaching. Krista Ruck, who I I admire so much, like even now, like 25 years later, I, I admire her so much. She's the EP of sports over at, at Channel 2, but at the time, she was an executive producer working at Channel 9 in the sports department. And I work for Rich King. I worked for Dan Rohn. I learned a lot from those two guys. Harry Gold was one of the EPs in sports, and uh, he was a trip, man. He was, I, I've never... I've never met anyone as nervous about something that was going to happen as Harry Gold. Like, he wanted things to go right so badly, and they always were. Like, there was never going to be any problem that Rich or Dan couldn't overcome on the air, and we didn't have a lot of problems. Like, my internship there was amazing. Like, I met Isaac, who's one of the – the, the most renowned sports photogs in Chicago. And it was great. But to, to get the internship, Harry was in charge of the internship program. And at Channel 9, he would have a written test that you had to take. It was basically, do you know sports? <laughs> and so I took the test. And I guess I was the first intern that got a perfect score on the test because it was like, come on. And so I had an internship there. The internship went really well. I learned a lot. They gave me a ton of responsibility. Eventually, the internship turned into a part-time job. And I was on the fence. Like There were three things that I felt – I could make a life out of by the time I got to the end of college. The three things were, I had taken the LSAT, I had gotten, I think, a 170 on the LSAT. So, law school was on the table. I was thinking about going to Tulane to go to law school and then going to the Navy and joining the Judge Advocate General. That was one route. The other route was, since I was a Golden Apple Scholar, I was thinking about teaching, like teaching high school history and coaching football. And the other route was broadcasting. Did I want to go into broadcasting? And working at Channel 9 that summer, that spring and that summer, because that summer, man, I got to cover the Bulls winning their fifth championship. And sixth, because I stuck around. And worked part-time at Channel 9 as a field producer on the weekends. I did that until I got hired full-time at the score, which wasn't until the end of 98, or beginning of 99, something like that. I started at the score in May of 98, but I was working part-time. And then I think the overnight slot opened up. That winter. And I started working for less. Anyway. I loved my time there. The point I'm making about Mike. Mike was the next intern. Who followed. Me. And he says that it was horrible. For him. Because he was always being compared to me. Which I laugh at. But it's funny when he says it. It's hilarious when he says it i mean i guess you know i did pretty good they did offer me a job and everything anyway mike's made an incredible career for himself and he he listens to the show he listens to the radio show a lot and i i'm appreciative of how much he listens to the show And he always, he'll send me a text or a DM and be like, hey, what did you think about this? Or that was funny. Or how about thinking about this? I love when he posts pictures of him back in the 90s wearing the, the giant neck roll playing football for Loyola. It always makes me laugh. He's done an incredible job with anything that Channel 9 has thrown his way if they want him to do something serious, if they want him to cover crime, which we spend a little bit of time talking about inside the episode, if they want him to cover a fun feature story, he's he's doing really well at anything they throw at him, and that type of versatility will take you a really long way in the business. What I love about this episode is that along with us talking about him and how difficult a road it is sometimes and how difficult it is to let go of some of the things you see as a a, a crime reporter. He also gave of himself in this episode. I, I don't want to give too much away because I want you to hear it and hear it in context. But I appreciated that he was felt comfortable enough to talk to me about really difficult things that he's gone through in his life. And I think all of those things can be really helpful. Now, that wasn't the entire episode. We had a lot of fun. But that's the beauty of of having a podcast like House of L, where you do get these moments where people are vulnerable and they're comfortable in their vulnerability vulnerability. I can't say the word. In being vulnerable. There we go. The best example is like Mark Grody's episode from a couple years ago. This is similar in what Mike is willing to share. So you're going to learn a lot about him. You're going to learn about what it's like to cover news in Chicago and, and we have a fun little conversation about neighborhoods. So take a listen. This is Mike Lowe of Channel 9. He's terrific, and he joins me on the House of L podcast. First of all, it's really good to see you. Really, really good to see you. I mean, I, every time I look up and I see how hard you're working, I, I get excited because I know that you you have a passion for this industry, and it's coming out in and, and, and the stuff that you're producing.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I, I feel the same way about you. I try and as I've said, I try and listen to your show whenever we're driving around uh, all over the city. And uh, you're like our constant companion in the afternoon. <laughs> what a terrible companion
0: I am. Um. Uh, hopefully it, it's good, which is great, man. I, I want to go in a bunch of different directions if it's OK with you. But let me start with this one. What's your favorite personal Mike Lowe? football memory
1: (laughs) like of me playing yes um i would say uh it was actually in the prep bowl uh we were playing dunbar uh so i got to play in soldier field um and i had like a three yard run or something like that it was the game was already decided Uh, But I just thought that was so cool uh, being in the prep bowl. I really, I was a guy that like played in garbage time because I I backed up the all time leading rusher at Loyola, a guy named Pat Naughton. And uh, so I didn't see the field a lot and we were a pretty good program. So like a little guy like me wasn't going to play unless the game had been decided (laughs) But uh, I still have a lot of fun doing it. And like, I think that was kind of a thrill to actually play in Soldier Field. And it was before this was this would have been 19. We played actually in two consecutive prep bowls in 95 and 96. So it was prior to the uh, the reconfiguration and uh, refurbishment of Soldier Field. And uh, so it was like the old Soldier Field. Uh, that we remember, like, the 80s Bears playing in without the AstroTurf, but we were on grass, but so it was fun to play there.
0: So for, for, for you as a kid who grew up, like, as we're talking, you're literally sitting there in your Bears hoodie. For for someone who grew up loving the Bears, how big a deal was that for you to be able to, to play on the surface, to be in the arena that Walter Payton and Dan Hampton and Refrigerator Perry had been
1: in? It was a lot of fun because, like, the bears are my childhood. Um, it's, it still like defines me today. I mean, like I didn't do this on purpose, but I was saying like, it's the only stuff I have. It's like, you'll see me like if I, anytime I post something on Instagram, <laughs> people Oh, surprise, surprise. He's wearing another bears thing. Good thing. They caught you in your bear stuff today. Um, like that's like all my leisure clothes, I guess. Uh, it's all bear stuff because I love the bears so much. And being able to play at Soldier Field, like you said, on the same – even though, like, we kind of forget that those Bears played on AstroTurf. Like, yes. 85, was an AstroTurf field. So they, they had transitioned to grass um, and letting high schoolers play there. That's one of the reasons they have such a – like, all the other events that, like, create all the problems. And we probably have – the the Bears probably have the worst surface in the NFL. Or they used to. I don't know. Maybe it's been – Fixed a they're bit
0: they're now. always either the worst or second to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh also has a terrible, terrible field. Is it's, that right? Yeah, I think
1: they, they do. That organization does everything right. So I wonder, I wonder why that is. It's uh, the players complain about playing in
0: Pittsburgh all the time. I mean, I'm sure it's it's a climate issue too. But it is yeah. that that field comes up in patches quite a bit. And it is, it is, it is not fun. Did, when you started playing football, do you remember why you started playing football? Like what drew you to the game?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. Like most people our age would talk about like the 85 bears or whatever, the bears of that era and say like either their favorite player was Walter Payton or Mike Singletary or whatever. I think for you, it was Jim McMahon. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite figure on the Bears was Mike Ditka. So people were like, the super fan stuff is real. <laughs> like, um, like, at least for me, like, I, there was, there was before, like, I think the first sketch on Saturday Night Live was like 1991. Um, right. So, like, this, we were kids and liked Mike Ditka prior to that. Like, I had posters of Mike Ditka. So I was part of that crazy cult. And like, I want to remember him as like, January 26, 1986, Mike Dick uh, like in this way. Chicago Or it's like you got to kind of got to be like, "Oh, coach, please don't talk about that." <laughs>
0: please please don't talk about how you got Obama elected because you didn't run against him as a senator. Like,
1: right. dude, can we not do that part, please? I I wish there like everybody in Chicago media would just make a pact to be like only ask him about the Bears please <laughs> he can talk about the Bears and not anything else <laughs> like, I don't want him to be sully you know because he's such a big figure and beloved and I don't know I mean if you think of one person who's like uncancelable in Chicago like he said some things that probably should have made him cancel right but he's he's got such a deep reservoir of goodwill um, that I guess he's he's one of those people that will never be and that's his brand too right like i'm outspoken i say what i want i speak my mind (laughs) i
0: am what i am you can like it or love it
1: yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so so anyway i i kind of wanted especially being like a littler guy like I, i don't know if you i mean you know i'm like five foot six um so i was i think i was kind of drawn to like the the football, the aspect of football players like Mike Ditka being this big, tough guy with a mustache, and you know, you you got something to say to me, say it to my face. Like I wanted to be that guy, but I'm so not that guy. <laughs> but that's kind of what attracted me to the idea of football, and it's just seemed like a place where tough guys played. That um, was the sport that, and I it was a sport where, like, I felt like basketball. You really did have to be tall to be. Um, decent or I mean I, obviously there are exceptions to all this Bugsy Bogues or even guys like John Paxson like mm-hmm. you could be short you know, point guard or something but I just felt like that was the most fun game and because the Bears were so good um, that it's kind of like Blackhawks were a few years ago like every kid in Chicago wanted to play hockey for a couple years I think that's what football was for kids of my era it's-,
0: <laughs> it's a good that's a good way to start off you know like the sports like uh, youth sports is such a great thing and, and and in some ways it's been corrupted over the last two decades but it's such a great thing and can can offer such a divergent path for a lot of people and and gives you a peer group and all of this other stuff
1: that that i think is valuable um I, you and i have common too like I we're the biggest fans of our like nieces and nephews and friends kids and like I go to all the games that I can like I was just joking with Ben Bradley the other night he was anchoring late on a Friday night at Channel 9 and I happened to be in the studio he's like what do you got going on this weekend I'm like I don't really have many plans he's like well you want to go to three soccer games and on Sunday and three more I'm like actually that's kind of what I do just not for my kids anyway. Like I was at a basketball game for my goddaughter and she hit the game winning shot. It was awesome. Oh, that's outstanding. Um, How old uh, she is in fifth grade. So I think she's 11, 10 or
0: 11. Okay, man, that's such a, Oh, she's going to remember that for the rest of her life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's fun. And I feel like my role is like a godfather or an uncle or whatever is they'll remember that you were there, like showing up. Like they may not remember that you got them some awesome, toy or whatever but like if you are always there that means something to them or it will it will someday (laughs) it's very valuable
0: did you have someone like that when you were playing that you remember they were always there or they came like when they knew you were going to be in a big game or whatever they showed up
1: Yeah, I had a couple uncles that would uh, that would like show up to stuff like that. Uncle Kevin and Uncle Gary. (laughs) So, you know, you just feel like somebody's there supporting you and like it's not just your mom and dad or whatever, because I think most kids take that like, okay, yeah, they got to be here. (laughs) Um, But if somebody else, then it's a little special, you know, so So, I, I try to make of those things as I can.
0: How does someone who loves sports the way that you do? make the turn into news like when when was the point when it was like okay sportscaster's not going
1: to be the thing right now when did that change well so uh just to i i wanted to be bob costas when i got into broadcasting or like when i went into journalism journalism school at northwestern that's what i wanted to do i was the uh uh sports director of WNUR radio, co-sports director with a guy who's a pretty big name in sports right now, Darren Ravel. He's like the most, either the most reviled guy in sports or the most criticized person on Twitter. It's funny to hear him talk about that because what most people see is that caricature of who he is. Um, But we can talk about that later. But anyway, the, uh, the, so I, I wanted to do that. And I did play by play for Northwestern football and basketball and baseball. it was a lot of fun and then my first um kind of real experience in the real world in broadcasting was in topeka kansas at ktka tv and you go from doing play-by-play at a big 10 uh you know big 10 basketball or whatever and you are covering chicago stuff like in an internship at wgn which uh, I was an intern in, in the WGN sports department and you think like, Oh, this is so awesome. You're going to be covering Michael Jordan and the bears or, you know, Indiana versus Northwestern. And you see Bobby Knight and all these figures that you think it's so glamorous. And then you get to Topeka and it's like, yeah, we're going to send you to the dirt track, dirt track racing, you know, tournament. Or <laughs> but you know, I, I've come to love those stories even more at the time. I was like, this isn't really what I want to do. I wanted to be, Bob Costas and host the Olympics. And it was kind of short-sighted, but I thought to myself, like maybe things will be more fulfilling if I do news rather than just sports, because for every great character you get like a Charles Barkley or an outspoken coach, like a Mike Ditka, you get so much more. And I know you've talked about this a lot uh, throughout your time on the radio is sports lends itself so much to almost saying nothing and now it's probably the worst it's ever been with like the Belichickization of coaching, you know, where you almost said, you don't even get into cliches with him. Like, you know, we only beat ourselves. He doesn't even say that kind of stuff. He's just like, yes, no. He's so gruff. And every coach tries to emulate that now that uh, anyway, I thought like you would get, I I could be more fulfilled and more intellectually stimulated by doing politics and, you know, governmental affairs and just rolling up your sleeves and getting out in the real world. Like yesterday, I was covering a story on that awful mass shooting uh, in South Chicago, just on the border of South Shore. There were seven people shot, but like people only see that on the news. Well, like I'm the guy on the news. Like I was there so that you got to see it on the news. Like, so it it is interesting to see. I think this being in news gives you a little bit broader of a spectrum to cover than simply sports even though i i love sports and you really got to be good at it and dedicated and really dive into it like you do you know you you read books on the side just to keep up with strategy and stuff like that and i didn't really have the desire to do that with sports
0: i'm just a weirdo though like that i i actually was i was talking to one of my colleagues about it And they were like, so wait, you watch like YouTube videos of defensive alignments. Like, yeah, who doesn't like who, who, who isn't watching Kirby smart tape from 2018 and try to figure out what the next trend in NFL defenses is going to be.
1: They're like, no one like you're the only, (laughs)
0: only you know why
1: that though? Because I think you don't really, and this is just me being a fan of yours or listening to your show. I I think number one, you don't think of yourself as a broadcaster. You think of yourself as a teacher almost like, and I feel like I'm always learning something. And I think that comes from you and I are similar also in that sense that both of our parents are teachers. My mom and dad are teachers. And I think both of your parents are correct. Right. So there's, there's a, you have a great way of explaining things and, and getting to the heart of the matter and like, like you said, you're watching videos or reading books on strategy or whatever, because, you know, you have to tell the listener about it in a way that they can understand. And uh, so I got to read books on the outside on stuff, too. You know, Like, but mine are about like dark money and politics.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be watching like Larry Jovi tape tonight. And because I I know he's good. I want to be able to better articulate why he's good. So I'll be doing that. That'll be on the list of things I do before I watch the Bulls game tonight, like that sort of thing. But it's fun. It's a it's a fun way to go about it. And you're right. I do try to approach things like how can I best serve the listener? And if I can teach them something from the experience, it's great. Like it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to do that. Like my first jobs in broadcasting allowed for some of that. Like – When I got to do television, for example, like the first TV spot that I did, this must be 2008, 2009 on Channel 5. And it was basically, can you come in each week and teach Zoraida football? (laughs) Like, can you talk about the Bears game and teach her football? And it was so great. Like, she was awesome. Um, Natalie Martinez was there sometimes she'd fill in and I'd, I'd I'd work with her and I'd say okay we're gonna I'd say before this is what we're gonna talk about this is what we should discuss and they were so open to it like news people are very open they don't want the interview with the sports guy that sets them up to look silly right. and and I'm a big proponent of if one of if if. You look great, then I'm going to look great. So yeah, I want to make for this some- as seamly, seamless as possible for people when I'm on there. Now, I, trust me, when I get around Lance Briggs or Olin or Matt Forte or Alex, like those guys are teaching me something. So I can, I can play the straight man and I can just do the whole thing of, well, I'll, I'll just lay out and let you guys do your work. But there's so much fun. Like even when I come and hang out at your guys' place, if if Robin asks me a question, I know I've done a good job.
1: Like I know, <laughs>
0: like if she wants to have a further conversation, I feel like I've done a good job. It's a great way to to go about doing this gig.
1: You know, I, I mentioned as you said that uh, this. Did you ever take classes at Second City? No. Okay, I, but what you kind of articulated there was what their philosophy is. Have you heard? Yes. And
0: yes. And Okay. yeah, Yeah, it's 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 one of the the precepts of of improv. And, And I just feel like our industry is filled with plenty of people that have outsized egos. And I know that there have been times when I've been one of those people. But I do think that I think a lot about like sports. And I feel like there are times when there are times when I'm asked to score. And I can score. I yeah. prefer to play point guard. Like, I'm a scoring point. I prefer to be Chris Paul. Like, that's what I want to be as a broadcaster. And so the goal is to distribute the ball and win. Like, at the end of it, I want to win. And and I try to – like, that's my philosophy on how to – make it work and make it fun for everyone. I don't want people to just disappear when the sports guy comes on. Like that's whack to me. Like it's not a lot of
1: fun at all. Yeah. And I think that that perspective, especially if, if you do more local TV, like that is a role that I think is going to evolve and kind of started, has started to evolve. Cause when we started in TV, it's, the local sports guy was the only place you could see the Bulls highlights or the yeah. Bears highlights, and now it's everywhere. Now you get, now you've seen everything on your social media timeline, whether it's Insta or Twitter or whatever, throughout the entire day. So that role has to change a little bit, and I think what you're articulating is the way to do that, right? Like give a little extra, make it feel like you've learned something, like you want to know more after you after you hear what Lawrence has to say, you know. <laughs> That's, that's
0: just true. You, you brought up what you were doing with the story you were covering yesterday. I love talking to news people because I feel like whenever you all are asked to cover crime, it's difficult. like it's it's difficult in the moment and I think it's difficult afterwards in the aftermath of it. How do you try to tell the story respectfully? and I think you do a great job of it, by the way. Tell the the story respectfully and let it wash over you if that's even possible. How do you cope with covering crime and seeing it as closely as you do?
1: Well, you know, I think it's like an old kind of saying about what we do is you show up sometimes on people's best days when their kids win the state championship or the Cubs win the World Series but a lot of times we show up on people's worst days. And yesterday we showed up at this neighborhood, um, 79th street and exchange, and seven people had just been shot in a drive by shooting. And so number one, to talk about the, to answer your question about being respectful, I always just try to be like, how would I talk to my mom, right? How would I want someone to talk to my mom? Like the person you care about the most, if they had to be approached, like you wouldn't just throw a microphone in their face and you wouldn't be aggressive with them. Like you talk to them for a little bit first, see how they're doing, make sure they're OK. Like that we were talking to a, a guy, um, one of the people we interviewed, uh, two of those people were his friends, he said, that, that were shot. Um, and so like you have to uh, like he's not there just to give you a soundbite. Like that's a real person who just saw two of his friends get shot. So you have to approach that delicately and with empathy. Um, It's really hard because in the back of your mind, you're also thinking like, okay, I've got a deadline. I've got to get this. We got to get what we can right now. And five o'clock is a half an hour away. And we've got to get this edited and fed back. And I've got to get my thoughts together. So there's like a clock ticking most of the time, but you have to treat people like humans. And as far as like, not letting it stick with you or letting it wash over you. There are some stories that are a lot harder than others. Uh, You know, thankfully yesterday, no one died in that shooting. Um, So I think it would have been obviously much worse. Uh, There are still, as far as I know, two people in critical condition, but the rest, the other five people were listed in good condition last time I checked. Um, So it could have been much worse, but you know, the ones that, involve children or something that's really awful. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, how terrible is that when we say a drive-by shooting where seven people were only injured, isn't as awful as something else. Right. But you know, it's, it's like anything, you can't let it stay with you because I've got to go out there and do something else today or the next day. And it, I, I think it does get hard. You know, our, uh, one of our colleagues at channel nine, Marcella Raymond has talked openly about, um, how she feels like she suffers from post-traumatic stress. Like, I don't feel like I ever have gotten to that point where it's like seeing so many traumatic situations up close and being there and talking to the grieving families and those kinds of things. Um, It's difficult, but I know it can weigh on people like that. I haven't gotten to a point where it's like been debilitating for me, but I'm sure doing this for a number of years, it will. So... How do you try to decompress? I mean, I do things for my mental health. Like, I mean, I actually take antidepressants. So, like, I'm speak openly about that. But uh, I also make sure I exercise every day. Like, um, that's a big thing for me. Like, not only because I want to like be healthy, but because like the
0: endorphins
1: that you get from it right? Like it's creating endorphins and then you just mentally are, are feeling better. So I, I can feel it. Like if I, for some reason am not able to uh, exercise for a couple of days, like that's a, <laughs> like I tell our uh, executive producer, Dana Ballard, like I had to come in early the last two days. and like, I missed my workouts and wasn't able to do whatever. Like I got to get some time to do this. And like, they're pretty good about that. And I think people are much more willing to, uh, I guess, indulge the the conversation of mental health, even if it's still the business where it's like, you got to be here for your shift, you know, (laughs) like um, no matter what, like, but people, I think respect that that is a real thing now, you know? Why
0: was it important to you to be able to talk about taking antidepressant?
1: Um, I, I think it's, it's the kind of thing that I don't know was, not necessarily taboo, but maybe you felt like it was a weakness or something. But I think like most people have encountered someone who has had to do that or has dealt with depression or, um, especially over the last two years, you know, people have been in this situation where they've been isolated, they've been sad. And I've been taking them for a couple of years or had taken them for a couple of years prior to the pandemic. So I wouldn't put it in that, but I think people, um, just need to know that it's okay. Like you got to treat it like anything else. Like, would you criticize someone if they took heart medication to make their heart work the way it was right? Like nobody would do that. So if you have an issue like where you're not getting enough endorphins or whatever, like, and there's medicine that can help, like people just need to know that it's okay. Like go get the help you need and it's not an issue. So.
0: Was it tough for you initially to to buy in and say, yeah, I need to balance myself with meds? Was that because, t- you know, like we both come from the sports world and sometimes that can be a place where you're not really allowed to to be who you are and, and and to have what to have those those moments where you do need a little bit of help. So initially, were you open to the idea or did you need some cajoling?
1: No, I needed cajoling. Uh, I needed to have like parents and friends push me in that direction. Um, I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into why. (laughs) Like you, you tell me how you you can share as much or as little as you want. All right. Well, so this stemmed from a suicide attempt um, back in like 2011. And so I, and which I think is another thing that people should talk about. Like I was just, Uh, going back and forth with Ryan Cheverini, I didn't know that his, he had a brother who committed suicide or who died by suicide. I think the proper language that they, they say now is not to say committed suicide. So I always want to be sensitive about that too. Um, but, uh, like I was lucky. Um, I had a friend that like actually thought something was wrong when he talked to me on the phone and like got an ambulance over there and I, they got me to the hospital. It was so dumb too. (laughs) I was wearing a Mike Ditka shirt, you know, like a Bears shirt. (laughs) And apparently, I don't remember, but the the doctor said, like, I was saying, what would Coach Ditka say if he saw me like this? So apparently I said that to him. Are you serious? Apparently I said that because I was wearing the Ditka shirt, whatever. This was when I was working in Milwaukee. Um, But then, like, part of like the agreement that I made with my family and friends was that like I, uh, would go seek help, like see, get, get therapy. And then like I was prescribed this medication. So uh, I've been on it for like 10 years and I'm doing so much better. Like I I feel great. Um, but, uh, yeah, like depression is a real thing, even though like it doesn't fit in with like the macho, like you were saying, like, the world of sports or like, you don't want to show weakness or those kinds of things. But I mean, it's, it's sometimes hard to talk about, but uh, you know, getting to like a dark place like that, where you feel like that's a real option of ending it, the world is a better place with you. in. you know, and that's what I've come to realize, but uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about. And that's why people who are willing to talk about it can make it easier for the next person, you know? I guess if that makes any sense.
0: Who helped you through this?
1: I have a great group of friends. Uh, Wolfie, Tommy, and Peter. They're <laughs> my uh, <laughs> friends, friends from high school. Um, and they were like, we'll go to therapy with you. Like, we'll sit in there. And so a couple of them did a couple of times. And like and then I was like, you guys don't have to do this. Like, I'll go I got by it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, they were... Like that, invested in it, and like if you have friends that are like willing to do more than you are for your own, you know, good. Like I think you got to listen to that, and like we're extraordinarily close. Like I'm their kids' godfathers and stuff. Like I don't know how we got this close, but we we have been like best friends since high school. And it's funny too because you know in my career, uh, I've gone from like Topeka, Kansas to Lansing, Michigan to pennsylvania to germany all over the place and people are like you still talk to your friends from high school i'm like yeah they're the only people i talk to like like they're they're my still my best friends so i don't know if that's weird but that's my my experience so they are the people who uh you know you get by with a little help from your friends right that's how the song goes so um i only hope someday that i can like return the favor for them cuz like i feel like i'm the guy that's always getting help from them you know <laughs> and not the other way around what i
0: what i think is interesting is obviously how we portray ourselves publicly like via social media is sometimes not all the time different than than what we are you do always seem like you're in this place of sharing like in this good place of sharing stuff and i'm wondering is that because of what you went through that there is a real appreciation of you like you're appreciating
1: yourself
0: now and your place in the world and your place in other people's
1: lives you know what i i hadn't thought about it like that but i you know to the extent that like if you look at the things that i share on social media it's a little bit of work but most of the stuff is like what I'm I'm doing outside, like at my goddaughter's basketball game, like this. And I was, um, the confirmation sponsor, like for those who aren't Catholic out there, that's like one of the sacraments, (laughs) like you as an eighth grader have to ask like an adult in your life to like be your sponsor. And basically my only role (laughs) was like to go up and put my shoulder on. (laughs) I didn't say anything. I just had to stand there. But again, it's like being present, you know? (laughs) It's a, it's it's such a great like it's a
0: it's a great thing. Like I I went through confirmation. I was a I was a, a I made it all the way to master of ceremonies as an altar boy. So Oh wow. Oh yeah, wow. man. I took it real serious back in in the St. Thaddeus days, man. I I took it I even thought about being a priest. I really did. And then I was like I like girls a lot. So this is not going to work out. I don't know if I, I don't, I don't even know what sex is, but I think maybe at some point I might want to have it.
1: So, so it's, I no, that ended my career as maybe being a priest. But you ended up working Sundays anyway.
0: Right. <laughs> at the church of Dicca. That's right. I worked at the church of Dicca, but no, I'm like you, you're sharing all of this joy and it's, I don't want to put any pressure on you. okay?
1: (laughs) all I know is that whenever I see a post from you, I smile. Well, it's you know, like like you said, I think it's such a weird thing because especially for people like us who grew up without it. I wonder what the kids today are going to be like when they're our age that only knew the world like this. Like for us, this is just a thing that we're doing. Right. Like not real life for us. Like we still call our friends on the phone. We still read real books or whatever. Like this is their life though. So I think most people post like their highlight film and like, I'm not going to like post something where it's like, I'm having a bad day today and like looking sad. Like, I don't want to do that. Like put that out in the world, but I will, you know, I'll post like happy things like, Hey, I just did a 5k for this charity. And then like, even though I don't have a lot of followers, like I think if you're working with a charity or something like that like they kind of expect you in the media to like put a little bit of your spotlight on sure. it or whatever so always post stuff about that and to the extent that it's also like the idea of like hey get out and get active and do something healthy for yourself or then you'll see me posting like something at a Bears game like you know like that kind of stuff so like fun little things that are outside of work and really when I first started in a business, um, we were, own- I worked at a station that was owned by the Tribune company and they had like the social media guru come in and say like, now you want to see, like, 20% of your social media posts about work. And then you want to let the viewer into your life a little bit. So like, I'm sure that like shapes my, like, here's what I post, but yeah, I try not to put negative stuff out there. <laughs> so to, to some extent, Happy stuff but there's obviously obviously down days and stuff where i don't post about it you know?
0: just don't post at all which is totally the the right thing to do we've discussed y- you being out here doing the the iron man thing and you are on the radio okay. show right I, the level of discipline that it takes to look i just did my ak i did my virtual ak yesterday for shamrock shuffle and a lot of people are like, so you're going to run a marathon. I'm like, no, I'm I'm never going to run a marathon. This body is not built to run a marathon, and I'm okay with that. The discipline that it takes to do an Ironman, I'm in but awe. Tri- Ironman is like. Oh, that's right. Triathlon. Sorry. Yeah. I, I am in awe of that. In awe. So when did you think you knew you could do it like because it's different from hey i've got this goal versus you know what i've trained enough that i can think i can do it
1: yeah so I, i we talked a little bit about this on the radio the biggest barrier for most people is the swimming and something like that because every kid you know for the most part has run or you know been on a bike and that's just kind of stuff you've known how to do since since you were eight or whatever, you know, and if you get tired, you can ride your bike slower. And if you really get tired when you're running, you can walk and that's fine, but you can't stop swimming in the middle of Lake Michigan. Cause you'll drown. Cause yeah, you're like 10 feet or 12 feet out. Like there, you can't touch the bottom. Um, and obviously at the Chicago triathlon, there's like safety boats and all kinds of lifeguards and stuff. So I wasn't really worried that like I would die. but I was like, I don't really know if I can do this. And so that's what took the most discipline was getting into the pool and then actually getting into Lake Michigan and swimming a bunch. Um, and it was crazy because the day of the triathlon, obviously, that was still the biggest worry. But then that ended up being my best split of the whole thing. Like that was ended up being the quote unquote easiest part of it. Um, and then the hardest part for me, and I think it was a couple other factors, was the biking um, on Lakeshore Drive, which have we talked about this? How hilly Lakeshore Drive is? Oh, yeah. It, it is like, very hilly. People don't understand. And, you know, there's potholes and it started to rain right when that. Oh, uh, I got on Lake shore drive. So, and then my bike chain came off. So I lost a bunch of time, but it was just a difficult, like it was grueling right after the swim and then the run was fine. Um, or I should say the jog. Cause I wasn't like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, I think it's just, it was like going back to being an athlete, right? Like, you know what you have to do and you have to put in the work and there's no shortcuts, like I wasn't just going to be able to show up and try to swim. Like I knew that I had to show myself through practicing that I could actually do this, do it in the lake a couple times before the event. And then, then I felt confident enough that I'd be able to do it. But at the very beginning, I was like, what did I get myself into? Because <laughs> this is the other funny thing about that. I did it as a segment, a weekly segment for the entire month of August. We called it triathlon Tuesday. And so, you know, sometimes they'll say to people, like, if you're going to do something like this, tell a friend, you know, they will be your accountability buddy (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Like, they'll hold you accountable. And that was like, well, I told the entire WGN viewing audience for a month that I was doing it. So there was like no way out of it. Yeah, you you told the largest local TV audience (laughs) that you were going
0: to do this triathlon and damn it, you were going to do it.
1: Right. So I am actually going to do it again this year.
0: Get out of here.
1: Yeah. I'm going to try it one more time. Well, I don't know, maybe a few more times, but uh, I'm, I've already talked to the people uh, like our uh, public service office and stuff. They have a couple charities that next star works with. Um, last year we did the American heart association because we were putting the spotlight on my For colleague Aaron, Aaron uh, heart failure issues and this year i think we're going to do something with the hunger task force it looks like though i think that's still being sorted out so but i think that like to me i said like what's something that we could do a visual series on and like that's a serious issue that maybe we could make a dent in and one of the ones is that they have is uh you know food food insecurity in chicago is a huge problem and it shouldn't be because like we have more than enough food to feed everybody, but the good thing is we work with the Hunger Task Force. Apparently, NextStar does, and they'll like meet, match the donations. So if we raise fifteen thousand, it'll become thirty thousand or whatever. So that's awesome. So I, but we're not ready to break that news. So that's uh, <laughs> all
0: right. All right, I, I, I won't. I won't share with everyone what the deal is as of yet. all right we we just broke it. Sorry. <laughs> what what's something when you're in? Because I would never think to swim in Lake Michigan. I mean, I'm long, long time, lifelong Chicagoan. I would never I would definitely never swim in the river. And I almost certainly would not swim in Lake Michigan when you got into the water for the first time, like doing a real serious swim, not like hanging out at the beach, like putting your feet yeah. in type deal. What did you what did you take in as far as what it's like to swim in Lake Michigan?
1: You know, I thought it was actually uh, there are two things, because when you're in a pool, there's like that line of tile. So technically like you go straight just cause you're looking and you can stay on that. It's much harder to what they, the term in swimming is to sight yourself. Like, so you either have to like pick, like there's the Hancock building or there's Lake Point tower or whatever and try and stay in a straight line. Cause you can like get off course really easily if you're not sighting yourself. So that was one of the biggest challenges but I thought it was actually cool. Um, you know, you don't have like the, the end of the pool to like kick off on. So it's all your, you know, you're not like going back and forth. It's just like one long stretch down, one long stretch back. Um, But it was, it felt so much more scenic and I would usually do it in the morning. So like the sun would be rising and you're like looking at the skyline and I did it at Ohio street beach. Um, I think we talked about that on your show that that's looked at as one of the best, Uh, stretches of open water swimming, because it's so long. And like, that's where the playpen is. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like enclosed by those breakwaters that are like circular kind of breakwaters. And so it's, it's just like flat glass water most of the time. Um, So you don't have like the waves that every other part of Lake Michigan does. Um, So it's a really cool experience. And I know people think like, it's dirty or whatever, but I mean, it's Lake Michigan. Like we drink, it's like, it's a great lake. Like you're not at Lake Guckmore in Indiana or something. Like this is a great <laughs> lake. Like, it, it's our It's our most beloved natural resource in the Midwest, you know? So you might as well get in there and enjoy it. So I, I, I really liked it because you could see the buildings and it was kind of like cool. Like, yeah, I'm swimming in Chicago. This is cool. W- were you ever worried? Was there any point where you were like, man, I, I could end up in danger? No, I didn't. I, like I said, because I was doing it, uh, basically supervised. (laughs) So like when I would be there in the morning, we showed one segment on the news. Like there's a guy who's a Northwestern university swimmer, uh, Tony Matar. like he was walking up and down kind of coaching me. He's like, work on this with your kick. And like, so I was always there and they have lifeguards along that stretch from like 7am to 7pm or something. So people are swimming there and that's why you don't hear about a lot of problems of people drowning there. Like it's, it's pretty safe. Um, and you know, you can get to the side, uh, if you're really struggling, but, uh, yeah, like I I never really felt like I was in danger. Um, I will say though, that I was worried about that before I started, like, will I be able to do this? And then, you know, it's, Swimming is almost like, have you ever done like a long swim Yeah. anything like that? Like, I feel like it's almost like it's intimidating, but then when you get your breathing down and get the rhythm, it's not as daunting as it seems. So <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. Like, I know it's hard. I had a wrestling coach at Loyola who used to say wrestling is the most physically demanding sport that doesn't involve swimming. Yeah. Right?
0: I, I, oh. I'd say all the time that there is fit and there is swim fit. And those yeah. are two completely different things. And even in in times when I would consider myself like training for because I need to for like an eight or a 10K, if one of my train days was a swim, I was never more exhausted than after a a long
1: swim. Like that it'll it put yeah. you out. No, and like you're in you're not necessarily in trouble if your girlfriend at a party is talking to the quarterback of the football team but if she's talking to a swimmer it's over for you those guys are like six four they have like the marky mark line you know and they're their ripped they're like <laughs> confident about their bodies and speedos and stuff like you're screwed like <laughs> you got no shot you got absolutely no shot
0: As I've told you, BlueChew.com has become one of the sponsors here at House of L. And you're like, Lawrence, what's BlueChew? Well, look, if you're a man that's been dealing with some of the issues of not having enough fun or not having enough confidence in the bedroom, BlueChew.com can help you out in that regard. Why? Because they've got a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form. Get it? It's Blue Chew. So if you want to get back in the bedroom and you want to bring some confidence to the table with you, bluechew.com. And right now, we are offering a special deal specifically for House of L listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code House of L at checkout. All you're going to pay is $5 in shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code House of L to receive your first month free. They deliver it. It's discreetly delivered so that people are not in your business that you don't want in your business. And they've got chewable there. It's ready to go. It's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. So do it. Blue it, chew it, and do it. I just made that up. Is Blue Chew going to give me extra money for that? I don't know. BlueChew.com. Free trial. If you use the promo code House of L, go to BlueChew.com. And now, on with the rest of the pod. <laughs> since, since since you've lived in and covered this city for as long as you have what's a place or a side or a part of the city that more people should go and explore
1: um you know it's it's funny we were just talking about this uh the other day a, a photographer and i because we go to all the neighborhoods seriously like i don't know if there's any other job we were saying well, like a mailman has a route, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's the same. Cops are basically in their district. And like, maybe there's one unit that goes wherever the problem is. I don't know if there's any other job that like takes you from Pilsen to Hegwish to Lakeview to wherever, like, like every day I'm somewhere different in the city or Naperville or, you know, home of or whatever, um, or Evanston or whatever. Uh, so I think, Are you are you asking about like a specific thing or a neighborhood that's really cool that I didn't know about? Yeah.
0: Like, give me give me something where you walked away going, ah like I didn't have a lot of experience here, but I could see myself
1: hanging out here. You know what? I I, I will say this. And this is like an easy answer, but because it's so well known, but I hadn't spent a lot of time in Hyde Park. Um, And every time I go there, I'm like, this place is awesome. It really is. It's, it's a gem. Um, It's as cool as any neighborhood, maybe the coolest neighborhood in the city. Um, And I just don't, because I'm like a North side guy, like you just, it's so sad in this city that we don't get (laughs) like (laughs) to the other sides of the city, even though it's like not that far. It's so, Um, it's
0: so weird that you said that because for me, as someone who's lived in Hyde park for the last 20 years, the neighborhood that I I get excited about, like the area that I get excited about, is the area just north of the station. Um, God, now I'm not, I'm blanking on the neighborhood's name. Like right there, like Rockwell and and Lawrence, like around there. And I'm like, why am I not spending more time
1: around Wait, is here? That, is that considered North Center?
0: No, it's west
1: of North Center. It's okay. it's west of North Center
0: and it's by the river, and and I was like
1: too- oh yeah yeah yeah, uh, and, and in fact like there's kind of that industrial area there's like, yes uh, stuff yeah that, that's like stuff that most people don't even know it's there like, like like the the northern
0: branch of the river in the city the the L goes right there like right off of like your it's street the L is street level the brown line is street level yeah. over there yeah. and I'm like. Man, if I had that Mike Low money, man, if I had that, <laughs> if I had that real, real money, like I would live over here.
1: Yeah, yeah, there. Uh, that's that's a cool spot. And I Folks I with, with
0: boats in their backyards and stuff like yeah. it's incredible. Wait, you got the, you got the city neighborhood map right behind you.
1: OK, so this <laughs> see, that would have been. Uh, let's see. I lincoln roscoe village no it's
0: lincoln square it's lincoln
1: square that's what it is okay all right yeah because it says like north yeah lincoln square yeah just north is lincoln square that's exactly right yeah it's like tucked away like ravenswood surrounds it yes it's it's amazing it's amazing but it's
0: so weird because if you grow up in chicago like obviously we try to enjoy every part of the city yeah but you're right like if you if your life is south, then it's rare that you go north. If your life is north, it's rare that you go south, and almost none of us go west. And trust me, I'm sure you've dealt with it. The folks on the east side, they they want to people to know that Chicago has an east side, and right. they are very vocal about right. about what's happening on the east side. I I think it's one of the cool things though about our city that. You're never going to get bored with Chicago. Like there's so much to explore in in the city. It's it's such a beautiful, like vibrant,
1: bustling place. It's endlessly fascinating. Like every neighborhood you go into places that, you know, you might, I might never go, but for my job sending me there. It's like, man, I'm really glad I saw this. You know, Uh, I'm trying to think, I was looking just at some of the, um, neighborhoods as you mentioned we got the map up here but like how different edison park is from you know morgan park or Mm -hmm. um, and like i go to those places all the time and like i don't know if people from either of those neighborhoods ever go to see the other the other one you know like right um, like what's that that
0: that cross section you know like uh, i i used to always think it was fun being someone who grew up in roseland and my dad actually taught on the east side, and that's really the only way that I know about the east side. But having friends who grew up in Rogers Park or Harwood Heights and being like, that is the complete opposite side of the city. Like, it, it, it's amazing for me to hear stories about what those neighborhoods were like in, in, in similar times of, of how people grow up. And yet, there's this entire shared experience in Chicago that we have that can be broken down into, you know, I, they 77 officially, but hundreds of different experiences depending on the block inside yep. of a neighborhood. It's
1: it's a fascinating. Well, and we, you know, I I've said too, like just working in news, like. Photographers are some of the best. Like, oh yeah, there's this great little place over in here. Like, they know all the spots, and so like, you know, you can be in Pilsen uh, and they'll be like, the best burrito is right here, and like, it's a place I never would have even thought to stop. Or like, you know, as some of the famous places, um, but a lot of people in Chicago have been to like Rico Benny's or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that's like a must stop for it. Like twenty anywhere from 20th to 26th street or whatever, we'll, we'll make a special trip. Man, for that.
0: they got the best fries, man. Their fries are so good. It gives so many,
1: it's like five yes. guys. Um, and so that's dangerous. I got to stay away from that stuff, but yeah, like that's what makes it so enjoyable. It's like little, you get a little bit of the culture of the neighborhood by stopping in the restaurants and like, unfortunately we're usually there for a specific reason, you know, whether it's a crime or a, you know, whatever's going on. Like, so you don't really get to take in everything, but to the extent that we can, when we're there just dropping in, like having a quick, grabbing a quick bite to eat or something, gives you a little bit of a sense of the neighborhood. So (laughs) what's, what's the best
0: piece of advice in this industry that you take with you and share?
1: Uh, Good readers make good writers (laughs) Um, that you need to, at least to me, that's what I've like, I think there are different skills that a lot of people bring. Like I would say Ben Bradley is like one of the best sourced reporters. Like, it'll be crazy. We'll be in a meeting and we'll be talking about like, yeah, these uh, public employees were caught looking at porn on their computers and there's an investigation. And Ben will be like, I'm texting with the mayor right now. You know, like he's got everybody's cell phone and they'll, they get back to him like he's 60 minutes, you know, like they they will get back to Ben. So like, I'm not the, guy that has all the sort cell phone numbers of every person in government and stuff like that. But I feel like the strength I bring is that I've read a lot and like, I can write a good story and put it in a way that's one uh, professor I had at Northwestern said, you've got to remember as you're a journalist on TV is that people are watching the news on the same box that they're watching and he at the, at the time said Oprah and Seinfeld and Michael Jordan today would be like, you know, LeBron and uh, <laughs> game of Thrones or whatever, like they're watching entertainment. So if you can't be somewhat entertaining, it's not to say that you're turning the news into something that's frivolous or um, you know, trivial, but you have to be somewhat entertaining. And that's the craft of telling the story. Um, and I think you get to be a good storyteller by reading stories. So I would say good readers make good writers. And I think writing is probably the most important skill that I have. If you don't have the sources and all that kind of stuff. Now everybody has some sources, but like a guy like Ben Bradley or Chuck Gowdy or you know somebody like that is, has everybody on speed dial. What does it mean so- to you to be a storyteller? Well, you know, I resisted that term for a long time because I'm like, I'm a reporter, like a storyteller is like a a movie director or Mm -hmm. something like that. I'm not telling a story. I'm giving, I'm, I'm just the facts, man. This is Edward R. Murrow here. But then I realized, like I said, with the idea that like, you've got to do just the facts in a way that makes people engaged, then you really are telling a story. And so one of the ways that I've uh, tried to approach it, and I can't remember who came up with this. I don't want to take credit for it, but was to think of a news story like a Christmas tree, where there's something you're focused on at the very top, the star, and then each branch reveals something special, the little ornaments, right? And then if you stick around for the whole thing, you're rewarded at the bottom with all the presents. So you want to have the story tell it in a way that unfolds that keeps people engaged as they go down each branch. And then they feel like there was a reason they watched it. You know, like I either learned something or I, uh, you know, and am informed for the election or whatever it is. Um, I you a, did you happen to see the special story that we did during sweeps on Abraham Lincoln? No, I didn't see it um so the the idea i think you know dana ballard Who's i do she's amazing she's awesome yeah she's one of the best in the business and she like recently after jen lyons left uh she was part of our reshuffling and she's like head of special projects and so we were talking about what could we do for an interesting story for president's day and the idea was that Every kid knows something, knows 10 things about Abraham Lincoln, right? Like if I asked you, tell me a few things about Abraham Lincoln, what would you say? He was the 16th
0: president of the United States. He, he There's a log cabin somewhere. He was very tall.
1: He was a wrestler. Oh, God, okay, so you said, see, I was not counting, but see, of course you would know that. So I would say most people would say all those things and say he's on the penny, the $5 bill, Gettysburg address, whatever. Everybody knows all these things. But most people don't know that he's in the wrestling Hall of Fame. So okay, we were like, so what? I didn't I didn't know he was in the wrestling Hall of Fame. He's he's a member of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, and so we were like, what can we do to tell this story? And I was like, you know, most people would, I think, the only way you would think about it visually is like it's going to be black and white pictures of. Abraham Lincoln, and then you can kind of tell the story. Well, what we did, <laughs> I wrote to our graphics people. I was like, I want Indiana Jones maps, like sepia tone maps with the red dots. And like, we're going to be like, we're tracking down history. So we went to a first grade class where they were learning about Abraham Lincoln for President's Day. And it was really cute. You know, the kids were like, he's on the penny. And like kind of that premise that we talked about. Then we brought it out to the street and there are like murals all over Chicago. If you're looking of Abraham Lincoln's face, And his words are on buildings. So we had a couple of people like read quotes from Abraham Lincoln, like, oh, yeah, he's kind of like alive with us today. And then we went to uh, to the Wrestling Hall of Fame in um, Oklahoma. We actually didn't. It was one of our affiliates. We got them to go. And then we went to Evanston. Um, to talk to the Northwestern wrestling team. So like in wrestling circles, this is known. And so it was very visual and like you, you were learning something each way. And then we went to the Abraham Lincoln National Library in Springfield. So it was like this Indiana Jones map of us tracking down history in all these very visual ways where normally you would just have black and white photos of Abraham Lincoln. So we kind of brought it to life. I, you should, I'll, I'll send you the link if you want to Please, see. Please, I would very much like to watch that. But it was interesting because most of what I learned was that most of what we know about him as a wrestler is myth. It's like, you know, it's legend. People say he was like 401, 400 victories and one loss in his career. Um, And remember, wrestling has been around since, you know, ancient Greece when it was invented. So this is like a sport that's been around for 2000 years where men test their strength and skill against each other. And it was different, you know, from what you see on the collegiate level now, because it was like a county fairs, like, you know, frontier style. Like, But the idea of Abraham Lincoln, right, this guy that we think of as this peacemaker, um, this soft spoken, eloquent, you know, whatever, like getting down and dirty. Like. So there was this one, we found uh, there's one story that's pretty well documented where he uh, was in New Salem, Illinois, working at a like general store, and the owner of the general store was like approached to say, "Do you have a wrestler to take on the Clarys Grove Boys?" Like, and so Clarys Grove Boys was like a gang, and he's like, "I've got Abraham Lincoln. He's six foot four and whatever." And Abe Lincoln apparently won that match and like proved that he was tough. So, <laughs> so anyway uh i i don't know how i got onto that but it, it, the idea of storytelling like how do you make something interesting that was just a recent example from a couple of weeks ago and i i think it was like the number one story on our website for like a week because it's kind of a clickbait thing right like abraham lincoln was a wrestler like you know um so people click on it and then they watch it and it's kind of a fun thing and you learn something so
0: <laughs> what a great way! Great, great story, Mike. This was a pleasure, man. I, 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 I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I say this to to a lot of my guests, but I'm I'm glad that that hopefully COVID is is running into the endemic stage, and I mean, you're definitely one of those people that I feel like, I should be hanging out with, Mike. Like, we, yeah. we should go have beers. We should go hang out and, and talk about Abraham Lincoln as a wrestler and all this good stuff. So I wanted to thank you. knew that. That's funny. <laughs> well, I, I should have said he, he was a vampire hunter. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, man, like, I, I, I'm so glad that you show a lot of love. Like you show more love than I, than, I, than I deserve when it comes to listening to the show, and it's appreciated. It really, really is. I always love that you're out here listening, and what you've done in your career, I think, is dope. I think you put out. There's never a time as a viewer that I feel cheated when you're covering whether it's breaking news, or you're putting packages together. So I, I wanted to kind of find out what your journey was like, and 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 find out about what you think of the business. So this was wonderful that we got a chance to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm a big fan. I think you would be. Like, I don't know what your next step is, but I think something like a Bob Costas show on HBO, you know, or, or you remember how he did later? Yes. With Bob? Like your interests are so broad. Like you can talk about film, comic books, literature, TV, like music, whatever, like the kind of the way that he can, um, and such an engaging interviewer because you do the one thing that I, I was lucky enough to, uh, Meet Ted Koppel when I was a uh, student at Northwestern, and he said that most young journalists will have on their notebook a list of questions, and they'll just go right to the next one, and they're not listening as the news is being made. You know, so he's like, "Listen to the answers," and I feel like you always do that. Like you had no idea what answers I was going to give today or what direction it was going to go, and you just roll with it. And you're, I, I think you're an expert at that. It's really hard to do. So thank you. I, I try to get go the talk. students to go do about that. Go
0: <laughs> at, at DePaul, I try to, to teach my students that I have them. I say, you're going to have, I want a list of 10 questions that you have for your interview. And then I, I make them listen back. I make them listen back and go, you missed, you missed a lot. Like there, there was more story there for you to go down but you were just trying to get to the next question.
1: Yeah. Instead of being
0: in the middle of a conversation.
1: Yeah. You need the who, what, when, where, why, you know, you, you have to get that, especially in a breaking news situation, but the most important stuff usually comes from the follow up question. And that's, uh, that's just something that I think you've mastered. And I try to put in practice, you know, you you have to listen. So that's the, that's the key, but I know we're,
0: I, I thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. And continued success, continue good health, continue good mental health. I think thank that you. you you are taking steps that a lot of people, myself included, should be doing to take more steps to make sure that we're in a good place. And uh, I really applaud you for advocating for yourself, even if something as simple as I need to get a workout in.
1: Like yeah, that so- – that, being an
0: advocate for yourself is really, really important. So I appreciate
1: you doing that, too. Thank you. It's It's been a pleasure to, uh, to talk with you today. And let's definitely get together soon. And uh, hopefully I'll see you at Channel 9 one of these days. Yeah, that would
0: in. be fun. I'll, I'll try to hang around a little bit longer if they have me fill in for Pat. But
1: yeah, that's, I'm you're s- usually I'm so item. tired. <laughs> yeah, you've got to go do your show. Yes. Right? Like, that's the thing is our, our schedules are so we're at opposite ends of the year but uh but anyway uh yeah this was fun and uh we'll we'll talk soon. <laughs> All right man, be well. I'll see you soon. You too. Take it easy, Lawrence. See ya.
0: Like I told you, man, that episode was terrific. And I'm glad that Mike was available and that he wanted to hang out and that he wanted to share. And I think we got a lot accomplished inside of that. It, it it's funny because you know, I know Mike, but I don't know him know him. And I'm I I feel like I got to really know him inside of this podcast. And that's one of the fun things for me about doing the pod, to be honest with you. To really schedule, I guess, quiet time with my colleagues who work in this business. I'm I wouldn't say that I'm (laughs) antisocial, but I will say that I've had a lot of anxiety over the last four years, and then the last two years, it's been exacerbated because of COVID. I'm rarely the person who meets people out for drinks, and that's because... I'm not really a big drinker. I enjoy a good rum drink here and there and I'm I'm starting now branch out into liking tequila and experimenting with tequila, but I it's rare that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll meet everyone out and we'll we'll paint the town red. Like I'm too much of a control freak. So so for me, it's These are opportunities for me to sit and talk with people that I'm interested in. It it allows me to have conversations with folks in our business where I don't have to scream and yell over a loud bar or clanking glasses or the DJ or whatever. I can just talk to them about what it is that we do for a living and see if my experiences are similar to their experiences. So to be able to have some quiet time with Mike is dope. And and that way there isn't some like weird expectation, like, oh well let's let's meet up with a group of ten people and then you're having like eighteen different conversations instead of one super meaningful conversation. And I thought that this conversation was meaningful. And I was very happy that that he was available to talk about it. I also enjoy Hearing about how he processes the work and how he thinks about doing stories, like what rules of journalism have crept into his everyday when he's out there, what he remembers, how he tries to project when he's out in the field, the way that he goes about putting stories together. Hearing that type of stuff is. Great, and I think helpful, and you should watch him. You should also follow him. I, I also think that that I wish I had the discipline to do triathlons. I or honestly, the skill I can't swim well enough to to really do it. So, but it was great to talk with Mike, and I I I hope that you got something out of it because I really enjoyed. Spending time and talking with him. And I I hope that what he had to say about his life and some of the things that he's dealt with have been helpful. Because I think that it goes a long way to helping people who might be in the same boat. We thank you for listening. If you haven't checked out my episode on Carlos Correa, you should. You haven't checked out the latest episode of uh, Sports Adjacent. Oh my God. Please go listen to that episode. Because I don't think Dion was ready for everything that the boys threw at her. But she was ready for some of it and she was phenomenal. So go listen to the episode and I will see you next time. Hey!